everybody, and welcome to the Conversation of Our Generation. My name is Nick Jamel, and I'm the creator of the Conversation of Our Generation, the host of the podcast, the main author on the blog, and the one who you submit your essays to or your blogs to if you would like to end up on the Conversation of Our Generation. And I just wanted to kind of talk about that because I haven't in a while very much. I am looking for people to give me their ideas. If you write a blog already and you have stuff already written, you don't have to go reinvent the wheel. You can send something over to me. I can link back to what you're doing. If you just have an idea that you want to get out there, definitely write something up and send it over to me. You can reach me at facebook.com slash conversation our generation. You can get in the messages there. Uh, uh, or you can go to Twitter at con of our gen. You can go to the contact portion of the blog, conversationofourgeneration.com slash contact and contact me there. However you want to do it, just get a hold of me and let me know what your idea is and so we can get you up on the website. I want to get more ideas, more thoughts, more perspectives, even if it's people who kind of agree with the result, but, you know, not quite how to get there, you know, or people who disagree completely. I, I want to have it because I want it to be a dialogue going back and forth. And I need you guys out there who are listening to do that. Uh, you know, I I can't just put on these different hats. I mean, I could, but... I wouldn't feel principled in arguing in favor of something that I don't believe in, and I feel if I don't really go after it, I'm going to be just strawmanning the argument on the other side, and I don't want to do that either. So I want people bringing the best that they can bring to my blog every day, and with that, let's uh, hop into the quote of the day for today. I'd like to talk to you. We're going to be talking a lot about marriage um, and taking that from different angles. So what I'd really like to talk about is a quote here by uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. And it is, and it goes like this. It is not a lack of love, but a lack of friendship that makes unhappy marriages. And it's pretty short and sweet, but I think he packs a lot into it that if you think about it, really makes a lot of sense. And I think Nietzsche was a genius. I think that, you know, like Jordan Peterson says, I think some of his ideas didn't get to become fully developed in his lifetime. He didn't, he kind of saw the writing on the wall of what was coming and he wasn't able to fully see it come to fruition and see the results. I think if he had seen more of the results of the thought that was going on in his time and the results of, you know, I think he saw what was going to happen with God dying. We've used one of his quotes on there before uh, about that. But if he had gotten to see more come around, he would have, I think, possibly changed his beliefs, even if he doesn't change what he believes will happen in the world or what he thinks about the world or the culture that he's observing is kind of where that quote comes from. I think it might have changed him because I think he was kind of, you know, nihilistic. It seemed to me he was atheistic, you know, and so, but I'm not sure. I I still want to get to read him. I just haven't yet. And from what I understand, it's a little dense. So I think I'm going to kind of work up to it. But this idea is, I think, true. Um, If you look at it, to me, there's... A lot about marriage that is 
a friendship. It's walking alongside them, and it's not about... And I think, too, when he talks about love, I also kind of take that as both romantic and the, um, like, the kind of emotional love that you have for someone. Not emotional, but, like, that long-lasting love that you have. And so both of those are kind of what I take into account on that. However, either way, I think that it is the friendship. It's the ability to compromise and the patience and the want to simply enjoy each other's presence and not be like, you know, the bickering old couple. It, it's, I think that that's what's going to lead to an unhappy marriage. I think you have to have love to have a successful marriage, obviously, no matter what. But I think that people can stay together without having that happiness in their marriage, having a joyful marriage, because they do it out of love. They do it out of love for their children, but they're not, you know, the husband and wife aren't really friends with each other. They're now just, you know, they're just husband and wife and that's just their duty. It's not something that they enjoy being a part of. And I think that that's something I don't know if I've told you this, but this topic's kind of been on my mind because I recently got engaged and so we met with the priest and we're talking about some of the marriage counseling things that we're going to, like the premarital counseling that we'll do and all this. And we took a, like a, an assessment basically, like personality assessment and belief assessment to kind of see where there would, might be pain points or things where we disagree um, that we might need to work out before we get to that point. And the example they give is like, you want to know what the other person thinks about disciplining children before you get to the point when your two-year-old's throwing a fit and mom says one thing, dad says the other thing, and now the kid's not getting disciplined because you can't come to an agreement. And, and I think that's a practical thing. And I think that having that alignment is kind of like, it's the same as aligning with your friends is, you know, you have some people who are your best friends, but they disagree on politics. So you don't touch the subject of politics, but everything else, you guys get along. You love the same jokes. You enjoy the same music. You know, you enjoy all the same things so you can enjoy each other's company. But when it comes to this one subject, you just stay away from it. Right. And I think that Marriage, you obviously can't stay away from something, but you have to resolve it. And sometimes you can chalk up a difference to, you know, being a man and a woman and just being different. You can chalk up a difference to, or, or you say, it's fine that we're different in that area. For instance, you know, what you enjoy doing in your time off. If you, you know, what do you like to do with your alone time? Do you want to listen to music? Do you like to watch TV? Do you want to go read? Like, you don't have to like the same thing there because it's your alone time. If you, you know, if you don't like a couple of the other person's friends, well, that's something that you can kind of resolve. You can put up with, you can deal with it and just not get involved. You know, I don't think we really have that problem between, but, uh, between me and my fiance, but that's something that came up in that assessment as well. And I think that we have to look at the marriage as more than just, two people who are in love with each other. And that's kind of what I'm going to dive in here at the beginning, uh, right after you hear from 
We Do Better. We Do Better is an organization that is trying to help charities connect the resources that they need in order to meet the human needs that they're trying to meet with their organization and with the mission that drives them and fuels them to be such a great solution in helping people in your neighborhood, in your community. And what I love about We Do Better is that it allows me to be active and ensure that I am going to be helping the people in my community, the people that I see, the homeless people on my streets right in front of me, and those people that I know need help because it keeps everything local. It keeps my contributions to charities in the area that I live and not going to some far off place or getting sucked away by you know government waste. Instead, I know that I'm giving to a charity that is going to be servicing people in my community and is doing so better than other solutions out there. So if you want to get involved, go to wedobetter.org and look around and see what great information there is there. There's plenty to look at. And then go to the contact part and tell them that you want to get involved. Or you can go to the Facebook page for We Do Better Indianapolis if you're in my area and let me know. Or search Facebook for your locality. Just We Do Better My City, My State, and see what's out there for you to get involved with. We'd love to have as much help as possible because we believe in this mission. We believe in what's going on with We Do Better because it's about we the people meeting the human needs in our communities and rallying around our community to make them better and to help people who really need it the best way possible and the most efficient way possible. And that's what it's about. So if you want to get involved, again, it's wedobetter.org. Go there and contact them and let them know that you want to get involved. And so now let's get into the main part of the show for today. And I'm going to be talking about marriage from a few different angles and it's going to be a spiritual angle, spiritual angle, philosophical angle, a political angle, and then we're going to look at what it does to the culture. We're going to look at the cultural angle there. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I think that this is a bedrock institution for cultures across the world and if we don't really understand what it is from all these different angles then we really don't understand what it is at all. And that's why I wanted to dive into this today and kind of talk about this and really also be for my own sake to kind of work through my ideas and my understanding of this as well as I really prepared to take on um, or enter into this institution myself. So the spiritual side, and this is kind of also religious, um, but I think that, you, you know, it's both, it's both. But this is, to me, the primary, this is where marriage begins. This is the primary realm. This is where it's, it, it, it's the most important aspect to marriage, in my opinion. And it, it is a religious institution, but it signifies a spiritual act between two people. And it, what, that, what I mean by that is it's generally something that is performed by a priest or a rabbi, you know, whatever, someone in that sort of religious institution, but the bonding of two people in sacrament is not a religious thing, it's a spiritual thing, because 
in Catholicism we talk about, we teach the idea that to enter into a sacrament or to perform a sacrament is to have contact with God in some way, that God is blessing this uh, action, God is present in that action, and why we say that is we believe that these sacraments are something that we were given by God in order to really seal our religious ceremonies with his approval, basically, is kind of how we look at it. And, you know, I listened to Jordan Peterson. He talks about how innate these things are into our biology. It's almost like they're embedded in us to want these things, or not almost. A lot of these, I think marriage is one where it's embedded in us to really want something along those lines, a companion and a partner. I don't know if it's it's kind of one where I think we had to also refine ourselves because there's other more base impulses that can override your wish to be um, married or to have that companion and to, you know, you can just want a bunch of offspring and not to raise the family. We had to sort of find a way to rein in those baser instincts and to tie man and woman together because they needed each other. And that's what the beginning of Genesis is all about is that, you know, when they have, when they undergo the fall and their eyes are open, then what happens there is they enter into history. Now Eve has to give birth, which means that she's going to have nine months of being pregnant. She's going to have, and Eve is just women in general. Women are going to have nine months of being pregnant. They are giving birth to a child who has, um, who has a big head, basically, proportionate to the rest of his body. People all do. We have a big cranium, and the brain has to be well-developed before the baby exits, you know, the womb. And so she has to give birth to a child who's really helpless, unlike most other animals, because other animals, they can, during that period, they can, you know, form working limbs and come out pretty much walking, right? Whereas... The baby, so much of his brain has to develop that you have to get the baby out before his head gets too big and you can't really get the baby out. And so then the woman is not able to help herself fully because she has to care for an infant. And that's something that other animals don't really have. I mean, they have to care for their young, but the young can kind of walk around on their own. They can do, you know, little bits for themselves and then they can eat for themselves, they can, you know, they can't go hunt for themselves, but they can do a lot of other stuff. And so what happens is then God kind of says to Adam that he is going to have to work the fields. He's going to have to, you know, by the sweat of his brow, right? He's going to have to basically provide and be partners with Eve in this. And I think that that's something too with guys. Our natural inclination is not to tie ourselves to one uh, to one woman and to be one person's mate. That's not a natural inclination for us. And then to be the one who has to go out in the fields and work and provide and be the, be, you have to be the hunter for not just you, but your family. Now you have to till the field, not just you for you, but for your family now. And being the provider 
is the weight that the man had to carry because he didn't have to care for the infant because he wasn't able to care for the infant the way that the mother was. And I think that this is something that we don't understand in today's world, how innate these things are into our nature. Like we are built this way and sure that, I mean, obviously there are women who are going to go out and be providers because in today's world, it's not the same exactly as it was 3000 years ago. Like you can have a babysitter, you can write, you can do work that you can sit at a desk at. And if you're, you know, if you're pregnant, you can sit at a desk and work. You don't have to run after, you know, Buffalo. Okay. So it's a little bit different, right? But it's still the same. I think we like evolutionarily, you don't change that fast and your nature and what's embedded in our, you know, in our psychology and the way that we are, doesn't change that fast. So I think that we shouldn't neglect what has worked for us spiritually for thousands of years that's refined men to not be so beastly and bastardly and you know leave you know and to work live with honor and to you know take on a wife and a family and for women to be noble and to care for children and to care for a family and to take on that responsibility i think that those are both good things now those aren't the thing that is going to work for everybody but as a general rule i think it is important for us to recognize what that was and what why that is and it is practiced in spiritual and religious traditions around the world it's something that isn't just now christianity has its own ideas about it judaism has very similar ideas about it Islam has its own ideas about it. I'm sure Hinduism and Buddhism have their thoughts on it. And even just like indigenous tribes and indigenous peoples who have other like pagan religions have ideas about marriage as well. But almost all these, I mean, a bunch of cultures across the world have had this institution because it's so key to what we are as people and who we are as people. Next, I wanted to talk about it philosophically, and this kind of ties in very similar to the spiritual side, but it's going to be, you know, the philosopher, like I said, is, is a little bit more of the, he's the one who analyzes things. The So putting on your philosopher hat is looking at it and saying, what is this? What is the nature of the marriage that we can describe? And the best I can see it is that it is not just a man and a woman who are friends. It's not a man and a woman who love each other a lot. It's not a bride and a groom even. It's it's a like friendship. It's a bond that exists between two people. The marriage is not either one of the people. It's the bond between them. It's this it's their relationship. And that's something that exists outside of them. And that's why, you know, in Christianity we say that it's two becoming one. You're supposed to kind of work as a unit. You're supposed to rely on each other and act as one because your marriage is a single thing. It is that idea that you two move together, you work together. And practically speaking, that's just gonna be how it has to be because you have two people working towards the same goal. Just like anything else, they're going to have to compromise and 
defend their position when they believe they're right. They're going to have to, you know, try their best to understand the other person's point of view. So they're going to have to almost act as if the person that they're married to is, you know, another personality of theirs. They have to understand that just as much as they feel they have to understand themselves. And you have to do both at the same time because you need to be looking at, am I mad at my, or am I upset at my wife because of something she did? Or is it something that is bothering me and I'm just taking it out on her? And, you know, am I really being stubborn and unbending in this? Or am I really just holding my position because this is something that, this is one thing where I really can't compromise on my beliefs on. And I think that hopefully by the time you get to marriage, you've worked out a lot of those things. I know that for me, I kind of went into dating my now fiance with the idea in mind that I'm going to make this for the purpose of marriage. And so I, you know, told her up, right. I'm like, I want my kids to be raised Catholic. I want my kids going to Catholic schools or homeschooled either one, but you know, these are like a few things I want several kids we had to comp I did compromise on the amount of kids I wanted more she wanted less so we did compromise on that so we we talked these things out and came to some conclusions that we we could live with ahead of time so that we don't have those kinds of issues go when we're in the marriage but we still probably have other things to talk about like disciplining children we have to probably work that out what that's going to look like I don't think we'll disagree that much, but what's it going to be? What, how are we going to do that? We got to have, we're going to have to talk about just a lot of things. But at the same time, the biggest things I think we're going to run into are just those everyday um, issues that you get into, little spats here and there that aren't generally tied to the person who you're arguing with. Even you know, if you've lived with people for a long period of time, you've lived with your family or you've, you know, you know, like, I mean, just like think about when you're a teenager and you just kind of had it with your parents and you wanted to get out of the house and like every little thing they did was annoying, even if it was something very simple. And, and this may not be everyone, but I don't think it was much me, but I know this is the teenager mentality. And so that, that bond between you is stressed for a while. And then you kind of go off to school or college or move out of the house and a lot of times it kind of makes that better. You you don't get so annoyed by every little thing. And so you're able to really re-engage with your parents in a new relationship. Well, I think that 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 bickering, that, you know, trying to just live with that other person and ensure that you're putting the bond between you above your feelings at the time is what's important because that's what's going to sustain it. The same as, you know, like I said, with friendship, I wouldn't ruin a friendship over, you know, a political debate. Now, if there's friends that I can debate with, that's different. You know, there's some that I have that, there's some friends that I have that we can talk politics all day long, whether we agree or disagree, and just enjoy it and say, okay, fine, you know, agree to disagree. All right, so, here, you know, you want to hear a joke? And just go on with our lives. <laughs> but there's other friends and um, that... I wouldn't touch the subject with just because I just, you know, I don't want the, it's just not going to be productive. It's not going to be, you know, a good thing for a friendship to do that, to do that. And so I stay away from it. 
you know, I stay away from it at work because there's no sense getting into those debates at work and, you know, alienating your fellow employees or alienating yourself from them because of something as simple as I believe in lower taxes or, you know, whatever it is. So to me, that's silly. But regardless, that separate entity is what needs to be preserved. It's the marriage that needs to be put first because it's the marriage that's going to allow for the people to function within it happily. And so you have to put that bond between you above all else. So taking time to time to bond with each other and have, you know, a night out or a date night and make sure that you're communicating and having relaxing times together. You're not just always running around like crazy and doing things like that just to ensure that you're preserving that bond between you. And I think that that is something that is really important for people to do because that's what has to come first is the bond between you. Next, I don't want to get too much into the political weeds of this, but I do want to talk about it politically because I think it's something that we have to confront as a society because it's been made a political issue. And I think the way that I look at it in America, personally, I don't agree that the government should be involved in it at all. I think that at the very most, it should be a contract between two people, which is what it is. Like, if you look at it, <clears throat> you know, in, in Christianity or Catholicism, at least, we call it a covenant between two people, which is a promise or a contract. Um, but it's not like, you know, a contract that you write out and you have these stipulations, although you do have a marriage contract as well. But the covenant is something a little bit higher reaching than a contract, but as far as how the interaction works, it's I'll fulfill these rules, you fulfill these rules, as long as we both do that and don't do these things, then, you know, we're following the contract, right? And so, I mean, that's why you have prenups, that's why you have all these different, you know, things around marriage that are legal documents. It To me, the Catholic Church has answers for everything. I mean, we have like thousands and thousands of pages, probably hundreds of thousands of pages of thought about different Catholic topics. And we have, you know, a couple thousand years of talking about these ideas. I think that we can write up a contract that just kind of works for most Catholic weddings. And then if you want to have another prenup about whatever, because someone's a lot richer than the other person and just to protect whatever, I think that you should kind of enter in trusting the other person, but whatever. (laughs) And so, regardless, I think that that's all it should be. And then it doesn't have to, no one has to worry about whether or not their church is doing gay marriage or if, you know, the government says gay marriage is okay wherever they are or not because the government's not in marriage at all. All it is is if there's a dispute about the contract, you know, someone wants to get divorced someone cheats on the other person, you know, someone does whatever those something is that breaches the contract or makes it where the contract has to be reassessed for whatever reason, right? Then 
they take that to court and a judge judges it because they're just a neutral or you take it to arbitration or whatever you want to do i don't care but that's when you enter into the legal realm is when you have a legal dispute over the contract basically is you know did someone break the letter of the contract and am i able to get out of it or do we have you know we have to settle this somehow right to me that's all it should be now within our constitutional system that we have i believe that it seems to me that states have the right to decide on these things and so what that means to me is the federal government shouldn't have the word marriage in the law code at all like it should not exist anywhere it shouldn't exist in supreme court decisions it shouldn't exist on the books of the you know in the law of the legislature or on any executive order or executive action all right it shouldn't exist at the federal level states should be the ones who create the guidelines that they want to if they want to or yeah if if they want to do so they can do it they're, they're the ones who have the power under this system to do that they're, they're the ones who have the authority i should say obviously anyone in government has the power to force you to do something because well they have very big guns that they can hold to your head if you don't want to comply so they have the power to do so but they do the government the federal government does not have the authority under the right regulations and under the um under the constitution under the restrictions that it was placed on itself in order to be formed at the beginning of the country when or near the beginning of the country when the constitution was written and what i mean by that is basically that the states should be allowed to do so because that's what's within their authority now I think that what will happen over time is that most states would probably become pretty libertarian on things because if you go too hard to the, you know, conservative Christian side, Orthodox Jew side, and you have like strict marriage rules, well, you know, you're going to have a lot of people who are pretty lenient religiously that aren't going to want to deal with that even people who are catholic who just like i don't want to get married in the church or whatever it is then you know they that's going to be an issue right but i think that then you'd have on the other side people who allow gay marriage obviously i think you'd have people who allow some you know but you might see polygamy pop up. I don't know. I, I mean, you might. I doubt it at this point in time. I think it's kind of been nixed. But you know what? With the way the world's going, you probably would. But either way, I think that you would see federalism at work and you would see people on both sides doing what they think is right for their state, for their county, whatever it is. And as a society, I think we'd come to kind of a happy medium where... Most of the country agrees on about where it is over time, and if you don't really like what your state has to offer, then you could go to another state. Most of the states probably recognize other, you know, marriages because if not, then everyone's just going to move to the states that are more open about it. And so, you know, you'd kind of have like a balance that would occur, and I think that's probably the best way to handle it if you really look at it. And it's not really even a judgment call on 
what I think is right or what I think is best. It's just looking at, or at least what's right or what's the best way to get married, I should say. What's the best for marriage? But what's the best for, you know, the country? Because you don't have political upheaval because, you know, two people who want to be married and have the, you know, ability to sign for each other and the, you know, the few legal things that you, that come with it that other people can have, but they wouldn't be able to, you know, they should be able to have that in a political system that's supposed to be built on liberty. I agree. You know, I don't necessarily agree that it's the best way to be married. I don't think so. I think that there's, I think there is a right, you know, I think that marriage is a bond between a man and a woman with the aim of producing children. I think that, you know, men and women who don't, who get married that don't, you know, who aren't open to children. Um, I think that that's not really marriage either. So in my belief, you know, so I think that there's a specific thing that marriage is, and then you could have unions between people and have that be a bond between them that they put above all else. You know, the reason why you do that in marriage is so that you're a stable home for children, but, and I guess I really haven't talked about, talked about children that much, but you know, that is the goal of marriage is to produce children and to produce a family too. And that's what, that's why you put it above other things. That's why you make that bond between you so stable so that children have a home to grow up in. And to me, politically, I think that two gay people could raise a child just fine. I think that especially, and I think there's plenty of, you know, heterosexual couples that can't raise a family worth crap. So I don't see the point that having a man and a woman who are addicted to, you know, heroin, for instance, able to have a child and, you know, some gay couple who, you know, it's two guys, one's got a really good professional job, the other one could be a stay-at-home dad and, you know, take care of the child and all that. I don't see why you would rather not have them with the gay couple in that instance. I think that's silly. So I think it does come down to individual circumstances, but I think that there is an overarching rule that's better religiously, spiritually. I think that that's what I come from. But when it comes to what I want to enforce on other people, I don't see anything there marriage wise that I would be willing to use the power of the government, you know, the a gun pointed to someone's head and forced them to do marriage the way that I believe is right, I believe is best. And finally, now that we've kind of gone through the other three aspects, I'd like to finish up with a discussion of the cultural impact of marriage and why I think this is an important topic today. I think this is really the main reason why I'm talking about it because I think it's something where we've let the importance of it fall away from us so much that now we have to understand those other three aspects again before we can build something culturally around marriage because it's such a like I said it's such an important you know the spirituality is so important the political nature of it really influences the way that we look at marriage so much and then the philosophy around it is something where understanding what it really is is so important but when it comes to actually living it out that's what really matters because we can talk about those other three things all we want but 
if people aren't living out the ideas of marriage or talking, you know, working on improving in marriage or talking about it and discussing it and trying to refine our understanding of it even, then we're not moving forward on this idea, this important institution. And if you, if you read Aristotle's politics, you will see he actually starts off that discussion with the family, the household, because he sees that as the bedrock of what you can build a, you know, the, uh, the state upon the, the idea is that you have to have the family and then the state is kind of a reflection of the way that a family works in a way, but the, you know, and that's why originally we had states that were a monarchy instead of a democracy because families tended to function much more like a, like a monarchy. You know, the father was at the head of the household. He had, you know, a wife or a queen and then the children, you know, and then if they were a wealthy household, they had, you know, maybe servants or slaves in those days, right? And he discusses all of that and how you manage that and how if you have a bunch of, basically his point is if everyone manages their household well, you really don't need a government almost because the government is there to pick up the slack for people who, you know, can't run themselves, who can't act ethically themselves or they can't, you know, ensure that their family is um, being good, productive members of society. And so the reason why you have the state is to correct for the people who can't do so in their own household. And that's kind of, you know, he doesn't quite say that you don't need a government, but basically he says that that's the purpose of the state is to take that idea and expand it outwards because people are imperfect and they need some sort of governance model outside that ensures that they are doing what they need to do to follow the law, etc., or to follow the laws of nature more so, and so that the law then is a reflection of that. And I think that right now, a lot of the problems in our culture today are stemming from the problems that we have with marriage. And I think it's because we don't have that stable household. We don't have the families that are, you know, creating a next generation of people who share the values, who are, I think, instead of a marriage being, you know, a bond that gives people a good place to grow up and, you know, but is still, I I would say like just, you know, is still, you know, if you do something wrong as a kid, you're going to be punished, right? Now it's all about mom and dad love each other so much and we just love everybody so much that, you know, all we want to do is just love, love, love all the time. That's one set of like how we understand a family now. And I think that, you know, sure, you should love your family. But to me, loving your family means that if your kid's being a butthead, you know, you tell him to stop being a butthead because people aren't going to want to deal with him later on in life if he's a butthead, right? If you're four years old and still throwing tantrums, you need to nip that in the bud because they're not going to be able to adapt socially. If they're six years old and still throwing tantrums, <laughs> then your kid's 
probably already going to have issues, like, in life. I mean, that's a, from Jordan Peterson, you know, uh, evolutionary psychologist. He's kind of figured out what this is. You know, if you're two years old and throwing tantrums, you know, discipline or figure it out so that they stop, you know, find a way to make them quit doing it. But that that's how we have to really approach this idea is, you know, as a culture, you know, when you're having kids, you are not just when you're entering a marriage and having kids, you're not just doing that for you and your little family. You're not raising kids the way you want just to do it. You're raising people to go out in the world and interact with others. You have to have that in mind. And I think that a lack of healthy marriage, I think that, you know, high divorce rates are creating a sense of instability. I mean, if just imagine if half the people who grow up today, you know, their parents get divorced, then the thing that's supposed to create the most stability in a child's life is lost for half the country. What's that going to do to people, you know, as I think that's just going to make a society distrustful, which is not going to work in a capitalist system. It's not going to work in a system where we need to be able to trust but verify other people's work and interact with other people with the basis line of trust. And then if they betray that, then you then you say, okay, I'm not going to use that plumber again because he was bad. You know, he did shoddy work and he charged me a lot and now it's broken again and I need to fix it and he won't come fix it, right? I can't get a hold of him now. And, you know, but that's one thing. But just saying, I don't trust, yeah, you can't ever trust plumbers. They, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, and then, you know, that's that's not a good mentality to have when you're trying to interact with other people and get work with other people to get things done and cooperate and collaborate and compete. You can't do that if you don't trust that there is some underlying thing in your society that you can look towards that you have in common, that, you know, that trust, that belief that the other person isn't out to get you, they're out to serve their self-interest, but in doing so, hopefully they serve the interest that you have at the time in order to earn your money that they want, right? And so, to me, the big thing about this is you can compromise, like I said earlier, you know, you can kind of compromise on some of the super traditional values, you know, that two men can't be married, that, you know, this and that, as long as people are providing a stable home. The reason why I look at the change in marriage a little bit differently, I think, is even... 80, 90 years ago, you had to have a bottom-heavy family. And in countries like, you know, that are highly agricultural, that are poor, you have to because it's having a bottom-heavy family that allows you to support the family because the children are able to work, they're able to do things, you know, they're not just, you know, a tuition payment that you have to make, right? They, I mean, they're actually a net positive generally, you know? When my dad was a kid, he had paper routes, and I don't know if he, you know, I don't think he gave his money to his parents, but then he wasn't, you know, anything that he kind of wanted. His parents were able to provide for him what he needed, and he was able to provide for himself what he wanted then, basically. And I think that even further back, you know, his parents, you know, they had, my grandma had to go, all my grandparents had to go work as kids to help support the household like 
<laughs> my my grandma tells the story. She was working at a drugstore, and her brothers would come in because they were younger, and they just like put it on her tab. And there was a couple of times that she got her paycheck back, and it was an I it was what she owed the drugstore because they and so she took them off so that they couldn't sign the book anymore and use it. But it was like when she first started working there, they were just young kids and just goofballs. But you know, but really they needed the money as a family to you know to be able to put food on the table and heat the house and I mean they still were sleeping in the kitchen all winter long because they wanted to that's the only way they could stay warm they had to crank the stove to do it and the house didn't have the ability to warm up the rest of it so or they didn't have the money to have the stove cranked high enough that it would warm up the rest of the house rather and so but that stability that her parents staying together that Having that family together is what allowed them to get through that, right? And today, we don't have that issue as much. Like, even, you know, and, I, and I'm not going to say there's not families out there that str- don't struggle. Like, obviously, that's definitely true. I get it. But for successful people, their families don't have that same need. Even you know, a hundred years ago, if you had a really successful farm in the early 1900s, you still needed six kids to help you man the farm because they were free labor and they were the ones who were going to, you know, take on the farm when you died and this and that, right? So it seems to me now when six kids means six college tuitions for a successful family, well, that's not something that you can expect. But the other thing is we have, I would say, widespread disregard for human life on abortion and I think that to me that is an issue that when uh, liberals pose back to me that well you know you don't want to have spending on social welfare and this and that I say I don't I would like to see you know gay couples and you know single people who are really able to take care of a child be able to adopt a child because you can have a stable a stable home if you can to me if you can prove that you're a stable person who would love the child and raise the child right you know you could fix that issue and you could expedite this process and especially with gay marriage obviously two gay guys can't produce a child together two women cannot produce a child together no matter how many times you know cnn runs a headline that says so it's not two women if they say that fyi um, so to me, it makes sense that you could open that, uh, uh, politically, you know, to allow people like that to adopt children, raise children, you know, in a stable, loving home that's going to make them productive members of society. Fine. Totally cool with that. Especially if it means that the child gets to live and live a life that's worthwhile. Um, I think opening up that definition when people are more and more not wanting to have kids, you know, there's plenty of people out there who want to adopt who can't. And because it's such a convoluted, tough system, if you make that easy, you can give these people good homes. I mean, I know we, I mean, obviously probably everybody knows somebody like this that couldn't have kids. They had trouble and they adopted and it was just a horrible process. It like, I mean, it was just, painful and time-consuming and just and the whole time it it could go away 
it, like up until the last minute, like and even like until the paper is signed until three days later, I think they have just like when you buy a car to like go back on it and reassess and take the child back. I mean, that's, that's terrible. Right. And so to me, I think we can make that process better and allow for people to create these homes that traditional marriages didn't have, you know, you couldn't have that in, in just a traditional marriage that, you know, the, the definition of that home wasn't there. Right. And because I think that the purpose of marriage is to provide that stable home and to raise a family the right way. And if we can do that in a non-traditional way from time to time, you know, I don't think it's ever going to become the norm. I don't think that, I mean, obviously if homosexuality becomes the norm, then that means that we'll be moving towards becoming like extinct (laughs) because you'd have fewer, unless you, I guess, you know, do stuff with biolog, you know, biological, like, uh, with biotechnology and all that, but, I mean, regardless, you're not going to have it where 51% of people become gay because of this, or whatever it is, and you see a population decline, I don't think that, like, these catastrophic things are going to happen, I don't, I think that what you're going to see is a society that's a little more open to these kinds of things, and a little more okay with the way other people want to live their lives, as long as those other people let them live their lives the way they wish to, and, I think that's a, what the definition of a tolerant and peaceful society would be. Is you want to do that? Cool. Fine. That's what you want to do. Just let me do what I want to do. If you want to be gay married and raise kids out, you know, in that household, you know, adopt kids to do that, fine. Just let me be married to my wife and take my kids to Catholic school and, you know, raise them in the church, right? As long as those two things can happen. I think that we can see that sometimes those alternative ways work. And I think that, like, I can think of gay couples that I know that I would trust, like, to do that. I can think of that. And so that's kind of how I look at it is the nature of our society is changing. And I think that we have to reassess what are the actual needs what is the actual purpose of all of this? And I think that my definition of marriage stays unchanged. My definition of the ideal marriage is what it's always been in the church, right? That That's, to me, the best way to get the best result most of the time, you know, is to have a man and a woman who are committed for life and who are open to children. Um, you know, that, to me, is the best way to do that. But... You know, a man and a woman who can't have children who want to adopt is another good way to do it because they're welcoming in and loving a child and they obviously want the child, you know, because they, (laughs) you know, they can't just accidentally stumble upon an adoption, right? You got to put in a lot of work. It's not like, you know, when you have in the natural way. Um, So, you know, that, that obviously shows a much more willingness to have children, to me, two gay men who really want to go through what it takes to be two gay men or two gay women to have a child, that's that's a lot. So if you're willing to go through that, I say that you're probably going to be committed to providing that stable household. And if you can, and I think that also it's a higher, you know, burden of proof that they put on couples like that, it seems to me, to have 
um, to, to get to adopt. And so I think we need to just remember what the best way to do things is, but it's almost like a, if you ever looked at like a golf swing, I'm a, I'm a golf fan and there's a right way to swing a golf club. And it, there's a certain way that you do it. That's going to give you most people the best result most of the time. And there's certain angles and they're just, you know, but there's people who have funky swings that are very successful. And, you know, Jim Furyk is on the PGA tour. He has this weird loop that he does. And he like, when he swings back, he like puts his arms out almost and he kind of loops around and comes back around from the inside so that he can get around on the ball. And if you watch his swing next to anyone else's, the lines that are drawn are just nothing like, you know, like a Phil Mickelson or a Tiger Woods swing. And so, you know, is it unorthodox? Yeah. But did it work for him? Yeah. So who, you know, there's people who've played on the PGA Tour who play a huge hook or a huge slice. You know, sometimes it works for people and you just have to kind of let that be what it is. And, you know, most people are going to want to swing the normal way, hit the ball straight down the fairway. But if you can hit a slice and play a slice and it works for you, then fine, do it. You know, sometimes there's things you can do to mitigate that, I guess. But if that's what you have to play because you can't swing the club any differently, then, you know, fine. And so that's, I think, how we have to look at it is what's functional. As far as the culture goes, it's not necessarily about what's my traditional values. It's about what's going to allow for the culture to kind of mesh together again and to become tolerant of each other and to become a society that produces a better you know, generation after generation each, each time, because the people are instilling their values and in the next generation and allowing and bringing them new advancements and new technologies and new amazing things, you know, to me, I think that that's, what's important is that marriage is to create a better next generation by making sure that the individuals that you're a part of, the children that you're taking care of, are a better person than you are. And if everyone does that each generation, then, you know, God only knows what we could do as a, as a culture and as a society. I mean, it'd be incredible. So, with that, thank you guys for listening. I know this is kind of a long episode again, but I think this new format allows me to kind of dive into the topic, hit it from those different angles and kind of compartmentalize the way I'm thinking about something and understand for me too, where, how much more goes into a single topic than just the one aspect of it, whether it's, you know, politics or philosophy or whatever. And understanding that there's several ways that you can approach something that are all correct, that all unravel the nature of something in a different way. And I just want to thank you guys for listening, for coming to the podcast. I ask that you just share this podcast with someone, send it to somebody who you know will listen to it, who, who would like to hear it, who would enjoy it. If you just 
each person who's listening shares this each time, I mean, it spreads like crazy. So thank you guys again for listening. I hope this was beneficial for you. I hope you liked it. Please send me your feedback um, by just message me on Twitter or just tweet at me at conofourgen. You can find me on facebook.com slash conversation of our generation, or you can go to the blog, go to the contact portion there, but it's conversation of our, conversation of our generation.com. So thank you guys again for listening to this episode of the conversation of our generation. Let's get the dialogue going. Have a good week.